A crowd of thousands shifted nervously on the great lawn in front of Wentworth House, waiting for the coffin to be brought out. It was the winter of 1902. Two hundred servants, dressed in black, stood stiffly along the length of the façade, facing the crush of mourners. Shrouds of fog enveloped the statues and pediments crowning the house. An acrid smell clung to the mist, catching in the nostrils, effluent from the pits, foundries and blast furnaces in the valley below. The fog drained everything of colour. Now and then it lifted to reveal a portion of the house. On a clear day, the crowd could have counted a thousand windows, but that morning, most of it was obscured. At the stroke of midday, three hours after the crowd had first begun to gather, the coffin, mounted on a silver bier, was carried out of the house. It was followed by a procession of housemaids and footmen, bearing hundreds of wreaths of flowers. A brilliant splash of colour in the bleak scene, they drew a murmur from the crowd. The oak coffin contained the body of William, the sixth Earl Fitzwilliam. His fortune had come from land and a spectacular stroke of luck. In the late 18th century, the Fitzwilliam's Yorkshire estates were found to straddle the Barnsley Seam, the main artery of the South Yorkshire coalfield. Wentworth House, situated nine miles northeast of Sheffield, lay at its heart. Thanks, Jeff, and welcome to the Country House podcast, another episode. And, and uh, Jeff, we're talking about Wentworth Woodhouse. What was that you were reading? That was an excerpt from the preface to a very well-written book called Black Diamonds, The Rise and Fall of an English Dynasty by Catherine Bailey. It was published in 2007 and it's uh, a pretty chunky book on the history of the Fitzwilliam family and Wentworth Woodhouse, which is, um, yeah, the focus of today's podcast. Yes, Wentworth Woodhouse often billed as the greatest historic house that nobody has ever heard of, but until today, (laughs) especially after... Connor's viral social media video. Hopefully everyone will be listening in. But um, Wentworth Woodhouse named as such because in the 1200s, where the house stands today, a large portion of forest was cut down to make way for a family estate. And that's where Woodhouse comes from, since Woodhouse was a term used for a settlement built on cleared forest land. And Wentworth Woodhouse was... uh, I don't know if it still is. You can correct me on this, but I think it still is the longest of any country home in Europe. The uh, Yes, I think it's about Palladian... 600 feet wide across. Yeah, yes, that's correct. Twice the length of a football pitch and twice the length of Buckingham Palace. And in fact, if you were to walk every inch of the mansion, it would take nearly two hours. So there's a fun fact, but um, it is quite how remarkable. Many miles, how many miles of corridors are there, Ben? Oh, uh, miles, I, I have no five, idea. I think it's five miles of corridors and over 300 rooms. Wow. Yes, apparently it's said of Wentworth Woodhouse that there's one room for every day of the year. Oh, it's like <laughs> one of those famous calendar houses. Although the calendar houses, I think, were slightly different because they had, I think it was, what, what's, the, what's the rule for a calendar house, Connor? The rule do you, do you for the story a calendar house? I think, I think Nolan Kent is a calendar house, and it's um, the idea is it has, I think, something like 365 rooms or windows and then uh, 12, I don't know, kitchens or something and seven bathrooms, I don't know. But there's a rule for calendar houses where they each have like something that represents the days of the year, the months of the year and days of the week and oh. and weeks of the year. So it's it's worth reading about. There are a few calendar houses around. Noel um, is fantastic. Um, I mean, 
it's it's quite a it's quite a miracle that Wentworth Woodhouse still actually is with us. I know Connor's spoken before about the intense destruction and demolishing of country houses, and to give some scope around geographically Wentworth Woodhouse, there are so many amazing country houses that were demolished during that period of 1800s to 1970. You have several in Rotherham, Aldrich Hall, Wheatley Hall, Ickles Hall, uh, several in Wakefield. You have uh, Hague Hall near Barnsley. You have a load in Doncaster, such as Sprotborough Hall and we- um, I've already said Wheatley Hall, Byram Hall, Ferry Ridge, all of these in uh, the very late 1800s and all the way up through the 50s and 60s. So to have the most amazing largest one still standing today and thanks to a lot of work and dedication from a lot of people is is really remarkable. Well, Wentworth was very nearly lost and we'll talk about that later in the episode. But Connor, to set the scene, why don't you describe what the house looks like um, architecturally and to, to paint a picture for our listeners? Well, painting a picture of how it is today, looking at Wentworth Estate from Google Maps, it's surrounded by urban areas, towns. It's entombed or encased. It's an estate completely surrounded by built-up areas. And at the heart of it is Wentworth Woodhouse. Upon entering the estate, the first thing you'll pass is a large stables. And until recently, it was the largest stables in the country. And... um, this is where the Earl Fitzwilliam had his famous racehorses, such as Whistlejacket, which has a room dedicated to Whistlejacket in Wentworth Woodhouse. But we will get onto that. And the original painting is, of course, in the National Gallery in London. But continuing into the estate, you pass the stables and setting the scene, you have open parkland in front of you. You have um, woodland in the distance and chestnut and oak and beech in the foreground dotted around a parkland and you're approaching and to your right slowly reveals this long facade which at its center is a palladian block with um corinthian columns supporting a a portico with an enormous pediment crowned by statues either side of this central block are extending wings which are terminated by end pavilions. And above the pavilions, they are crowned by cupolas with weather vanes. So the entire piece is just an architectural um, Palladian composition. And the interesting thing about Wentworth Woodhouse, not only is it a long and vast house, but it is in fact two houses. So behind the main house, the Palladian house you see, there is an earlier house, which is Baroque. And that was the first house built. And it was only shortly after the completion of that, that plans were afoot to build the house we see today. And um, back to what Jeff had mentioned earlier about the importance of the Earl upon his death noted by the attendance of his funeral by the county and all the great houses and families in the country, that this family was given a second lease of life when a lot of families were going into decline, estates going into decline within the um, Industrial Revolution, that this family found coal on the estate. And this 
propelled the family back into um, a great position in the country for the next 150 years. And that eventually came to an end when the colliery was nationalized. And um, Manny Shinwell at the time went in with the diggers and ripped up the land, bringing all the bad soil to the top and destroying what was um, a landscape designed by Repton, I believe. And the effect of this strip mining, which is low quality coal, it is said that this was an act of revenge in a way, or an act of attack towards the, this great family by Manny Shinwell. And the collieries, the men in the collieries at the time, did write to him representing their miners' union um, in that area and pleaded with him not to go into the estate in this way. And they were overridden. But uh, it's a fascinating history how f the family rose and fell and the house is still here today. Something interesting with that story you were telling about the coal issue is that the, they were even told that the coal stock wasn't even worth the effort of getting it was uh, and yeah. one history if you're listening and you can pull up google images and take a look at that time it is quite a sight to see all of the fields dug up and the mining going up one historian said it looked like a scene from hell so there's something and they came up to just a few feet from the front door yeah, and totally destabilized the house. It's funny, Connor. You mentioned Manny Shimwell. Give some context. Yeah. He was, he was under um, the Labour government after the Second World War. He was Minister of Fuel and Power under the Attlee Ministry, um, and he was the one who nationalised coal mining in 1946. Uh, the irony is, he had he was he was a socialist, and I always find it quite ironic because in later years he accepted a peerage. Um, so <laughs> funny chap couldn't uh, quite. Um, <laughs> couldn't quite bring himself to turn down a peerage and stick to his convictions. But um, yeah, he um, he detested the aristocracy and um, and Wentworth Woodhouse was is sort of held up as the best example of of class warfare in the in the um, in the 1940s and 1950s, because, like you say, the, 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 the coal, the shallow coal that they mined in the in the garden of Wentworth Woodhouse was so useless, it wasn't worth the money of actually of actually mining it um but he did it anyway just to really to spite the family and to um to make a point uh, make a statement so not only did the family lose its means of incomes not only to support the family the house and the estate but the surrounding villages and a place of employment but they also lost their heir in the same year in an airplane crash so I, th I believe it was in the same year or within a year. And, um, yeah, it was 1948. Yeah, 1948 yes. was the, it was the, I, I believe it was the year after. So, so the, the coal mines were nationalized in 46 in 47. Yes. Um, there's a famous photograph of, of the open cast coal mine at Wentworth Woodhouse with it, with mud tracks and, um, and huge piles of, of terrible quality coal, um, going right up to the the back door and then in 1948 the uh, the Elfitz William um died you right in a plane crash with his lover um who was actually quite an extraordinary lady in her own right Kathleen or Kick Kennedy 
the Marchioness of Hartington. She was, um, I believe, well, she was JFK's uh, sister and um, she had been married to the future Duke of Devonshire who had been killed in the Second World War. And um, the Earl Fitzwilliam became her lover and they were on a plane, I think, over France. Is that right, Connor, when they died? I believe so, yes. And the relationship was quite kept rather quiet at the time as well. It wasn't in the press. But what's interesting, you're talking about the air dying and obviously the astronomical death duties that came from that. In the excerpt yeah. I was reading earlier from Black Diamonds, it, the, the end of that preface shows us how in 1902, at the death of the sixth Earl, um, it seemed that that the family's place in society, the family's fortune and the house's future were all unshakable. So I think it says here that the sixth Earl Fitzwilliam not only left the biggest fortune in England, but he had four sons who were, who survived him. The coal industry was booming and, um, and it seemed that nothing could, nothing could change. Um, but I think that was the case for so many families in the years preceding the, the first world war. Um, but uh, very tragically, now the you know, one hundred and twenty years later, um, the Eldon Fitzwilliam has died out, um, and the house is no longer in the family. I mean, it's extraordinary how, after centuries and centuries in that family, um, so much has changed in the last in the last century. Yes, and speaking of that change, where we have in previous episodes referred to the multi generational. Um, involvement in different roles within an estate, whether it's the gamekeeper, the farmer, or the landowner, or the landowner. In this case, the Fitzwilliams had left their role on the in the house and within the estate, but the role of gamekeeper, which part was passed through many generations, the gamekeeper was still um, within that same tradition up until I believe ninety nine. So the family had left, but other roles within the estate still continued. Mm. How about the Wentworths? Who were the Wentworths that became the Wentworth Fitzwilliams later, uh, in the early days of the house? Yeah, good question. The Wentworths, Connor, do you want to talk about the Wentworths? I don't know the deeper history of the family. My knowledge of the Wentworth starts really with William Wentworth, who was the second Earl of Stratford, and it was his death. So this is how... Stra- I think that's, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were the Earls of Stratford, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, Earls of Stratford, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it was in 1695 that he died, which, and what shocked the king apparently at the time and the country was that he disinherited his eldest son and rather left the estate and his fortune to the, I believe it was the third son of his sister, uh, Thomas Watson. And Thomas Watson, upon inheriting the house, um, changed his name to Thomas Watson Wentworth. And it was Thomas Watson that built the house we see today. Right. I, I have something about the first Earl of Stratford, if you want to hear that, the Thomas Wentworth, yeah. uh, who, you know, we all like history. That's why we do this. And uh, his is a fascinating history. With He was an extraordinary figure. Uh, this is Thomas Wentworth, the first Earl of Stratford, who uh, was actually very influential in historical events. Uh, 
He began his political career as the representative of Yorkshire in Parliament in 1614. And he was sort of known as a fence-sitter, not a massive character there. But despite that, he took concern with how the Crown, back then, was using their royal prerogative to bypass Parliament, which became a, a major factor in starting the English Civil War. However, once Charles I accepted the Petition of Right in 1628, uh, which was an effort to curb that royal power, Thomas felt the king had learnt his lesson, and so Thomas pledged his full support to the crown. Uh, for his loyalty, he was promoted by Charles to the Lord President of the Council of the North, and in 1633, the Lord Deputy of Ireland, and in 1640, the Earl of Strafford. But uh, with the tensions rising between Parliament and the monarchy later, Charles sacrificed uh, his supporter to try and appease his opponents. So in 1641, Thomas Wentworth was executed. Um, and sadly, sort of in vain, because then the English Civil War happened just <laughs> over a year later. So uh, obviously, going then leading on to what you were saying there, Connor, about the second Earl of Strafford and so on, I, so that there's a real rich history to this house. There is. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are, there are, um, there are three families tied up with the Wentworth Woodhouse um, estate. I think we talk about the Fitzwilliams, the Wentworths, and the Watsons, and they all sort of came together over over the centuries. So yeah, so Thomas Wentworth was the first Earl Strafford. It went to William Wentworth, second Earl of Strafford. I think William Wentworth, the second Earl of Strafford, um, had no surviving children or brothers. His cousin then inherited the estates and was recreated the first Earl of Strafford again. That was Thomas Wentworth. They lived at Wentworth Castle. So it, it all goes, um, it, it all sort of chops and changes a little bit. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about Wentworth Castle is that was originally Stainsborough um, and it was Lord Raybury that had was meant to essentially inherit from William Wentworth's second Earl of Strafford. But it was, that's the big significance of disinheriting his son in favour of his daughter, his sister's third son. And Lord Raybury changed the name of Stainsborough to Wentworth Castle in competition with Thomas Watson Wentworth. And it was this competition which we see today architecturally as leading to um, a uh, follies and an architectural, I suppose, ensemble in this part of Yorkshire because of the competition. So if, if he's if Thomas is building a folly, I'm going to build a bigger folly. If he's built a, an obelisk, I'm going to build an obelisk with um, an urn on top of it or something like that. And this is why the estate is so bedecked with follies. It was that um, rivalry which lasted half a century. <laughs> That's really interesting, Connor. So, Connor, you've given us a bit of a description of the house. Do you want to just paint a slightly broader picture for the for the um for the listeners maybe talk about the rooms the interiors what 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 are some of the notable rooms that we see at Wentworth mm. House I want to hear about whistle yes. jacket rooms so um continuing from the approach to the house you enter either up a flight of stairs onto the piano noble which is from the palladio the, the noble um floor of the house this enters into a double height, double cube, um, grand hall, 
and I think it's the finest in the country. It is marble and um, fireplaces that fit within the proportion of this vast space that seems like a piazza. But when you walk up to the fireplaces, you realize that the mantelpiece is above your head. But when standing in the middle of the hall, it all just makes sense proportionally. Extending from that central grand hall, which was used for balls and all sorts of events, um, you have the state rooms. Now, these would have um, high ceilings, sash windows, um, paneling and craftsmanship, not only on, on the walls themselves and the cornice, but the ceilings, the inlaid floors, the, um, the and the marble fireplaces. Now, the most famous room in Wentworth Woodhouse is the Whistlejacket Room, named after Earl Fitzwilliam's most famous racehorse, the great champion, uh, Whistlejacket. And if people want to see the original of that up close, it is in the National Gallery in London. But in the Whistlejacket Room today, they have a reproduction print. And this is of a horse standing on its hind legs in a proud stature of um, a horse that's proud of many victories. And this room is to celebrate that horse. Now you'll find with many country houses and Wentworth is no different, that the ornament, the craftsmanship within each room denotes what it was used for. So you will see um, Roman instruments and in a, in a music room within the plasterwork in whether it's just below the cornice in the entablature or on the ceiling stucco work and in the room where you're partying where there's wine flowing you will see grapes and maybe bacchus in the centerpiece with a sunburst and so the architecture in the in the ornament relates to its use and um, in Wentworth, you have at its core these stately rooms, but the wings spreading out, which are terminated by the end pavilions, these have bedrooms and um, staff rooms. And the house is so big that in the 1920s and 30s during house parties, I believe that guests used confetti um, and sometimes even string to find their way back to their bedrooms at the end of the night. That's really interesting. Um, it's probably worth saying. So, so George Stubbs, who painted Whistlejacket, um, was was his his great patron was Charles Watson Wentworth. Um, actually, at this point, Connor, I'll correct you slightly. Um, Whistlejacket was was indeed commissioned by the Alfred William, but by this point, the family had been elevated to the Marquis of Rockingham. So it was the second Marquis of Rockingham, um, Charles Watson Wentworth, who was Prime Minister twice um, as a Whig in the um, in the 18th century, who owned Whistlejacket, the racehorse, and who commissioned Stubbs to paint many of his horses, uh, some of which I believe still belong to the descendants of um, of the Watson Wentworth, the, the Earls Fitzwilliam and Marquis of Rockingham um, today. Um, it's an extraordinary collection of Stubbses, and the most famous was, of course, Whistlejacket. Um, it's funny, Connor. You mentioned as well just now the um, the the guests leaving trails to get to their bedrooms from from the dining room. I think after a few guests did that, they were given crest silver silver bowls with the family crest on, um, with confetti in it, so they could find their way back rather than having to leave their own paper trails. Which is quite a fun little aside for 
just implying the five miles of passageways um, and acres of, of lead roofs that they had to sort of navigate. Yes, Jeff, you just mentioned that the Earl of Rockingham being Prime Minister. Interestingly, the Marquis. The Marquis, yeah. yes. That the um, the overlap with politics and architecture here, interestingly, is that the house behind is Baroque, it's red brick, it has um, the ornament and gaiety that you find in Europe. And at this particular time, it was seen as, as Rockingham... Um, a Whig, the Baroque was seen as Tory. And so the more restrained, Palladian, classical, refined, um, more neatly dressed and less gaiety, less theatre was seen as the Whig approach and a more English departed from the continent approach to architecture. And this is partially why from his position in society that he went to the effort of not just staying with the Baroque house, but building an entirely new house because it just wouldn't do. The political ambitions would be thwarted by a Baroque house. And this is, it's just an interesting overlap how the politics affected the, the architecture. That's really interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier, um, Connor, about... Um, I think you mentioned something about um, their, the, the, the lavish parties they would host in um, in Wentworth Woodhouse. And just reading a little bit about the first marks of Rockingham, um, Thomas Watson Wentworth. And when he died in December 1750, um, Horace Walpole famously said that he had drowned in claret, um, which probably says something about his um, his rather decadent lifestyle, um, uh, which the Whigs were quite well known for. Um, Have you but, read about uh, the party in 1807? No, Ben, tell us about that. The, so the fifth Earl threw a coming-of-age party, and I tell you what, I would have loved to have seen this. There were 10,000 guests from the surrounding area uh, with staff and villagers, and the menu was 473 bottles of good wine, 23 gallons of rum, and three roasted oxen, 336 stone in weight. What a party that would have been. Fantastic. I still don't think it would feed 10,000 guests, but... No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, loaves maybe, and fishes. Maybe, maybe. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's an extraordinary house, and it's it's got some, apart from the rooms that um, Colin's mentioned, it's got some really extraordinary rooms. The, the There's the... The hall, the hall of many pillars, as it's called, or the pillared room, is an amazing room with sort of like a sculpture gallery with um, some, yeah, full of full of pillars supporting the, all that weight. And then, of course, there's the marble saloon, which is probably the greatest or most famous room in Wentworth Wood House, which is an extraordinary um, double height cubed uh, room with a gallery, um, lots of different colored marbles, um, and uh and a checkered floor it's a really extraordinary um and beautiful space enormous um but uh but beautiful um it's interesting Connie. you talked about the um the two different houses as well the the baroque house and the and the palladian house and the layout of the house is such that it, it there's, it's a set, there's a central courtyard that connects the two so if you look at an aerial view of the house it literally looks like two houses with two little corridors which complete the courtyard connecting the two 
houses together. Um, so, um, I mean, it'd be interesting to know at, at its peak. I mean, you know, when I read that excerpt at the beginning, uh, the house was really at its peak. It's sort of the, the end of the Victorian era when coal mining was at its most lucrative. Um, it would be interesting to know just how many uh, people were employed in the house, the number of housekeepers mm. and or um, yes. housemaids and so forth. The family, that this it's important to see this house as it's almost the Buckingham Palace of the North in the sense that not only architecturally, but the family were of such a great importance. And um, the royal family would, would, would visit, but within the county, um, they were almost on the same level as the royal family. And um, yeah, they just had a significant role, not only locally, but in the entire Yorkshire. Yeah, that's that. I think it says here. I've got a few facts. So it was three hundred more than three hundred rooms, two hundred fifty thousand square feet of floor space, um, two two point five acre plot, surrounded by a hundred and eighty acre park and an estate of fifteen thousand acres. I think the the park itself was enclosed by a nine mile stone wall, um, which is yeah. So the the parkland, which is designed by, designed by Humphrey Repton nine mile long stone wall um and within it were 12 follies there were towers columns a mausoleum built in the classical style and several other follies um which you've touched on already connor um i think um yeah what i was going to say was um just a quick run through of the sort of direction of descent that the house went in so it was built by the 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 watson wentworths the marxes of rockingham um and then in the 18th century, it was inherited by the Earls Fitzwilliam, who uh, were, and were also Yorkshire-based, and they were the Fitzwilliams, the Fitzwilliam family, who um, and they then owned it until 1989, so not, not too long ago, um, the freehold of the house was sold in 1989, um, having been destabilised by that open-cast mining in the, in the mid-20th century. Um, it became untenable for the family to live there. Um, so just a run through. So in um yeah, it was so it was leased after the Second World War. I think during the Second World War it was a it was the headquarters of the intelligence corps. Then it was leased to um the Ministry of Health, then to Sheffield Polytechnic, um, and then in nineteen eighty nine it was sold by the family. Um so maybe we could talk briefly about one of one of its peak moments was the the royal visit of 1912. I've only I've seen photographs and heard of the ball they had, but um, it was a great shoot. As in, it was a shooting weekend. It was a shooting weekend. Yeah, yeah, and um, and there was some it's quite a, an interesting mix of guests. So George V and Queen Mary visited from 8th to 12th of July 1912, um, and stayed for, so they stayed for four days. And guests included the Archbishop of York, Cosmo Lang, who later became Archbishop of Canterbury, um, the Earl and Countess of Harwood, the Marks and Marchioness of Londonderry, the Marks and Marchioness of Zetland, the Earl and Countess of Scarborough, the Earl and Countess of Ross, um, a long list of sort of grand Yorkshire families um, were there. And the Royal Visit concluded on the evening of the 11th of July with a torchlight tattoo by miners and a musical program by members of the Sheffield Musical Union 
and a, a crowd of 25,000 people, locals, gathered on the lawn to witness the king and queen on the balcony of the portico from which the king gave a speech. So you very much get, you mentioned already, Connor, that, that Wentworth Woodhouse is like sort of the Buckingham Palace of the North. You get that feeling there if you picture the king and queen on the on the balcony of Buckingham Palace, or you have the same here with them on the balcony of, of Wentworth Woodhouse addressing 25,000 local people. Um, very much, you know, a lot of these people um, in those days would never have been to London, would never have seen the King yeah. and Queen in person. Yeah. So it was very much, uh, got you get the same feeling as you get when you see thousands of people gathered outside Buckingham Palace today. It's, it's important to state that when you see, um, just to paint a picture, although we've already described how the, the house appears, that this is such a grand statement, the wings in themselves, if you saw them in isolation, they are quite handsome country houses. Like this is almost, the composition is almost uh, three country houses all stitched together. And um, this, why is the house so big? Why does the house look as it does? It's, it's, there's many country houses that are classical. Why is this one so big? And it is the ambitions of this particular family that did go into politics were very much part of the, uh, the ruling of the country and um, had an, such an important role locally and in the county, as we've mentioned earlier, that when the family went into decline and the collieries were nationalised and losing that as the form of income, it wasn't the family themselves that just lost out. It was the surrounding, uh, they were the hub of a circle and it was the surrounding county as employment and a place for feast days and festivals and all sorts of activities that occur on the state came to a sudden end. And um, it's important to realise that, that it's not just the Rockingham family, but also the neighbouring villages and all those who work on the estate for many generations that also lost that night that it was uh, that it was nationalized to get to give an idea going back to that 1912 visit as well it may be interesting to know that the downton abbey film was based on that 1912 visit now the downton abbey film if anyone's watched it um where the storyline is a visit in to uh lord and lady grantham in 1927 sort of a a different telling of it. But interestingly, the grand ball that they had in 1912 was recreated in the Downton Abbey film in the same room, the marble saloon, this great ball in Wentworth Woodhouse. So if you do want to get a picture of what that might have looked at, go and watch the Downton Abbey film, uh, which is a great film anyway, but a good insight into Wentworth Woodhouse hosting those big events. It's it's also used in the crown as well. Um, yeah, I think in the recent, not the latest season, but in perhaps the, the last season, um, they had a, a visit to Russia and they used the great hall, the, that grand entrance hall as um, the set. And many of the rooms, I believe also whistle jacket was used in the crown as it's used in a lot of other period dramas. The darkest hour as well about Winston Churchill. Yeah, it always annoyed me when when um when I watched the Darkest Hour and I saw um the whistle the 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 
copy of the whistle jacket Stubbs painting in and it was it was supposed to be in Buckingham Palace and that you know my my sort of yeah. historical brain was saying this is wrong like whistle jacket never hang in but hung in Buckingham Palace um but uh that's just me being a nerd um <laughs> but tell you so, what if yeah, you haven't it's, it's, seen whistle jacket in person you must go and see it if you're listening to this it is sensational and probably one of the most important uh, British paintings of the 18th century. It is incredible. Thanks, Ben. And um, yeah, so it's it's we we, we chose Wentworth Woodhouse to be our first sort of focus uh, focus house because it has been the news quite recently. So having been sold in 1989, it's it, there's been a lot of debate over the last sort of two decades about what it should be used for. It was bought by an architect who did some restoration work to it, but I mean the estimated cost of restoring the entire house to its former glory, I think is 150 million pounds. So it's, it's not what it's not a small project. Um, and, uh, um, and in the end, I believe there, there've been none of a number of campaigns to try and save Wentworth Woodhouse for the nation, because it is such a, um, a historical and important house architecturally and, and, uh, from its historical provenance perspective. Um, and I believe it was so it was saved only, um, just checking it was saved in 2016 um when actually very uh, graciously the government gave a grant to the um to the Wentworth Woodhouse Preservation Trust um who bought the house in 20 so the Wentworth Woodhouse Preservation Trust bought the house in 2016 February 2016 and then in the autumn budget of that year um the government announced a grant of 7.6 million towards the restoration of the house. Um, and it says here, just looking at the uh, a note from the budget, Philip Hammond, the chancellor at the time noted a claim that the property had been Jane Austen's inspiration for Pemberley in Pride and Prejudice. Um, there may have been some connection because Austen uses the name Fitzwilliam in her novel. Um, so it's a possibility that, that Wentworth Woodhouse is the original Pemberley. And it would make sense being that the biggest house in England, that it's the sort of place where, um mr darcy would would live um but um it's uh yeah so wonderfully it has been safe for the nation i think it's um it's not yet open to the public or is it ben they they do have some christmas events on that they've been marketing and if you're a national trust member too you can get 50 percent off guided tours which uh, i'm sure is worth it that's what i'll be going to do when i can visit Yep, you're right. So it's still getting a lot of visitors. Sixty-three thousand visitors last year. So um, they're obviously um, on the ongoing restoration and regeneration project is happening parallel to having the house open, um, which is great. It is worth visiting if you're in the area. Um, as as Ben mentioned at the beginning, it or Connor said, I think at the beginning, it is sort of entombed by um by by towns i think it's nearest main city is sheffield um but it's also near um Rotherham? You, uh, ben you live up you live up Rotherham, north, you know yeah. better than me it's near what rotherham and barnsley i think yep yeah it's, it's stuck between it's it's literally equidistant between sheffield barnsley and doncaster and it's a little bit closer to rotherham so it's uh it's it's quite accessible by public transport as well and if you're uh, if you're ever thinking of getting married there, there is a technicality 
where if you get married in the chapel at Wentworth, you could put Wentworth in front of your surname. I know there was there was a lady who has, whose husband's parents had married there, and she had put Wentworth in her name. So there you go. Oh, Ben, I think that sounds like nonsense. It sounds like the sort of people who <laughs> add titles to their names to uh, yeah. to try and get upgrades on on airplanes. Um, if, if also, if anyone wants to see more about it visually, then Dan Cruikshank's Country House Revealed, I, th- I believe it's episode four, and it's in four parts on YouTube. If you look up Wentworth Woodhouse on YouTube, um, it's a fantastic documentary. Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining us for this uh, deep dive into Wentworth Woodhouse. Hope you've enjoyed it, and let us know if there are any specific houses you want us to cover in future episodes, but we've got some exciting things coming up, and uh, yeah, uh, thank you again, and goodbye. Goodbye.